Okay, we're going to talk a little bit more this afternoon about this unity and how God tells us to accomplish that, things particular and specific that you can do. What do you see in that picture? That's a rhetorical question. What do you see in that picture? Do you see the ship? I, uh, I took this picture from the north end of the Golden Gate Bridge several years ago and uh, was standing there as the sun went down and that ship, and it, it just looked like such a lonely sight to me, that little ship going out, oh, it's a huge ship, but it looks tiny going out into the ocean. When you look at that, you see a ship, don't you? You don't see a captain. You don't see a first mate. You don't see cooks and sailors. But all of those guys are on that ship. What you see is one ship. And I believe that's the picture for us of unity today. When the people look at the church, when the people see this church, they may be impacted by you individually, but you are going to stand as this body of Christ as it goes out into the world to accomplish the mission of Jesus. Now, when we talk about unity, you need to know some things. Number one, strife is not new and it will not go away. There's always been strife. I have a friend who's uh, an attorney and he handles traffic accidents and things. And one of the things he told me was back in, I don't know, 1904 or whenever it was, there were two cars in Kansas City. They ran into each other. (laughs) Two cars. That's just the way people are. There's always been strife. There's always been conflict. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden. They have two kids, and guess what happens? One kills the other one. It's just the way people are. There's always been strife. But that's not okay with God. It's impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom whom they do come. You cannot live in a close relationship with a lot of other people and there not be some conflict. Every marriage knows that, right? As much as you love each other, there's going to be some conflict. It's just going to happen because you can't put two sinners, and yes, I know we're redeemed sinners, but people who sin in close contact with one another without eventually one of them stepping on the toes of the other person. Division most often results from attitude and behavior, not doctrine. That's just true. And I know... I've. I am 58 years old. It doesn't feel like I ought to be 58, but I am. I have not seen a lot of church trouble and division. But all of it that I've seen has not really been doctrinal issues. Oh, I know there's something we could find to disagree about, right? I mean, really, we could find some issue that we don't agree on. And then we can line up and pretend it's a doctrinal division. But the truth of it is, all the division I've seen, I'm not saying all that's ever existed, but all that I've seen in churches has been because old brother, sister, so-and-so got sore at old brother, sister, so-and-so, and they got bitter, 
and they got prideful, and they bowed up against one another, and people start taking sides, and before long, you've got a church division that's a result of attitude and behavior, not doctrine. The law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed of one another. I've seen it, and it's ugly, and you don't want that. You need to understand that normally when there's problems, it's not some deep theological issue that we can't come to agreement on. It's really normally about an attitude, usually more than one. So how do we create and maintain a unity that's based on love and truth? Because we talked about that balance this morning. You've got to have that balance of love and truth. Okay, how do you maintain and create that kind of unity? Let's look at Ephesians 4 where Paul addresses this, okay? He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Notice he says, I beseech you. You know what that means? It means I beg you. Please. Now, who's writing this? Do you all know who wrote this? The Apostle Paul wrote this. Did he have the right to command them to do things? He did. But instead, he said, Guys, please, I'm begging you. This was so important to him that instead of saying, I told you to do this, he says, Come on, guys, please, walk worthy of the vocation or the calling with which you've been called. Well, what does that mean? You know, when you use the word worthy, and I know Timothy's going to get into some of this, everybody goes, well, we're not worthy. We can't be worthy. Nobody can be worthy. If we were worthy, we wouldn't need Jesus. He alone is worthy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He says, walk worthy. What he means is you walk in a way that's appropriate to the calling that you've been called to. You walk in a way that fits who you are. You know, when my kids were little, we'd pull up at a place, you know, you take them when you go preach somewhere, and before we got out of the car, we always had the talk. (laughs) Y'all know what the parents know what talk I'm talking about, right? You know, young man, how you're expected to act today, and you will not do this, and you will not do that, and you will. We always had the talk. You know why I did that? I did that with my kids over and over and over and over and over. Why? Because how they act reflects on me. Now, I've never had that talk with any of your kids. You know why? Because if they act like infidels, that's on you. (laughs) That's not on me, okay? I might go, ah, that's a bad kid. But I'm not going to try because it doesn't reflect on me. But you know, the way you behave reflects on your father. He can't help it. And when my children do well, that reflects well on me. And when they don't, that reflects bad on me. Now, you walk worthy of the calling where you with which you were called. What is that calling? I guess I ought to push the right button. 
Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Did you know? Yeah, you knew. Have you ever thought about that you are a child of God? And the things that you do as His child reflect on Him. You know, I've done a lot of door knocking in my life, and I've talked to a lot of people, and I've never had anyone tell me, well, I'm not going to come to church down there. You know, Muslims don't even believe in, in your God. I've never heard that. You know what I have heard? I'm not going to go to church down there. I worked with a guy who went to church down there, and he was a hypocrite. I've heard that. Because the way we behave reflects on our family. You are a child of the living God. I say, well, I don't have to, I don't have to act this way, you know. They can't tell me that. Listen, everything you do reflects on God. The way you dress reflects on God. The entertainment you choose reflects on God. The language that you use when you talk reflects on God. Paul says, I'm begging you. Really? Ty and I have a couple of times talked about a church problem somewhere and Ty will go, really? Really they're going to act that way? Some of you have heard him say things like that, right? Why do you say that? Because you go, we can do better than this. Come on. We're children of God. Walk worthy of that. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, how do you walk worthy of your calling in lowliness? What does lowliness mean? Well, this word lowliness here specifically means to have an humble opinion of yourself, a deep sense of your own littleness. Have you ever seen those animations where they start with the earth and then they show the planets next to the earth and how they all get bigger and then the sun and how big it is and then the other stars and they just get bigger and bigger and bigger and the earth fades away till it's just, you know, and yeah, I watch that and I go, wow, we are nothing. You know, right? Having a deep sense of your own littleness, that you are not that important. It's not about you. Life is not about you. The world does not revolve around you. For you to understand that, and I'm not saying put yourself down, I'm saying forget about you. When you think about this congregation, just in your mind, or this morning I had you look around. When you think about this congregation, where do you fit in the hierarchy? Are you way up at the top? You down at the bottom? Where do you fit? Where would you put yourself? I mean, when you think about the church that you're a part of. Lowliness. Not considering myself more important. Not saying, you know, they always get their way but considering the other person 
above yourself. Looking high on them, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. If I esteem you and your needs as more important than me and my needs, and you like the temperature in the building a little hotter than I like it, am I going to get all upset at you? If you like it a little cooler than I like it, am I going to get upset at you over that? Are we going to have problems over that? Would you believe I've seen church problems over that? I have. There was a situation one time where there was a fellow who kept it cooler or warmer than other people liked, and he went back to fiddle with it on the back wall where it was because it was too cool for him. And there was somebody sitting in that pew right there in front of him, and he went back to reach it, and they said, Oh man, if you touch that, I'm going to whip your... In church! Now they didn't say, I'll do it in church, but I mean, they were in church when they said it. Is that really lowliness? You know, if you have lowliness, you can get along with people, but if you don't... You're not going to get along with people because you're going to do stuff I don't like and I'm going to do stuff you don't like and I'm going to think what I want is more important than you and whether we line up all the way down this line here or whether we all line up in the, in the room back there, it's going to matter to me. And whether I'm on this team or I'm on that team or and I'm going to get a little haughty about it and I'm going to get a little lifted up and I'm going to tell you that is shameful when we act that way. And it doesn't help unity. What helps unity is for me to be lowly. For me not to need to be the one who gets my way. Because my way isn't always right. And I know this is being recorded and she's going to have evidence of this now. But my way isn't always right. With gentleness. God wants us to be gentle. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel but be gentle to all. Are you gentle? This is one I've struggled with in my life, not being gentle. I used to love to argue. In fact, I was probably well into my 40s before I figured out that sometimes there are things more important than being right in an argument. Sometimes getting along with the person that you're arguing with is more important than proving your point and being right. And being argumentative. You don't convert people by being harsh with them. You don't convert people by putting them in their place. By exposing the fallacies of their arguments. That's not the way you reach people. And it's not the way you work well with your family. Especially your church family. When I was in college in the dorm where I lived, I was the Bible debate guy. And I mean, any time anything came up about religion, somebody come bang on my door, they're talking about the premillennialism, or they're talking about baptism, or whatever, and boy, I'd grab my Bible, and I'd, I'd run down there, and I'd slap that thing down, and I whipped every Baptist in the dorm. <laughs> I, and whatever, I did. Because I, I knew quite a bit about the Bible, and I loved to argue, and I could find the little mistakes, and I embarrassed a lot of people. You know how many of them I converted? 
to my shame, that's right, zero. I didn't convert any of those people. You know who I did convert? The girl I was dating. You know why I converted her? Because I didn't quarrel with her about it. I was gentle in instructing her. I was patient in teaching her. You know why? Because it mattered to me whether or not she was taught in a, in a good, positive way to convert her and teach her about Christ. I wasn't trying to embarrass anyone there. I wasn't trying to exert any. I was trying to be gentle and kind in my presentation. And it made all the difference in the world. If you want unity, if you want peace, you've got to be lowly and you've got to be gentle. You've also got to be long-suffering. What does that word long-suffering mean? Well, it's very simple. It means suffering a long time. Willing to suffer a long time. Now, as I said earlier, you can't put people that commit sin together on close quarters without us stepping on each other's toes. It's just going to happen. If I moved here, it would not be very long before you got irritated at me about something. I'm going to answer you a little harsh, or I'm going to not do something I promised you I'd do, or something's going to happen for you to get irritated at me, and it, that would just happen. Maybe it's already happened. I hadn't been here that long. The reality is, we all commit sin and we all fail, and you will suffer at the hands of other people. Sometimes I wake up, I hate to admit this, but sometimes in the morning I wake up and I'm not in a good mood. I'm, I know, I know, occasionally that happens. And you know what? My wife and my son who live at home suffer for it. They have to take my bad mood until I can get it corrected. If you're around other people who are frail spiritually, and who commit sin, you're going to suffer at their hands. Are you willing to do that? We just had, last Wednesday, my 31st wedding anniversary. She has been long-suffering with me. (laughs) That's amen and amen. She has. Why did she do that? Why was she long-suffering? Why did she bear with me? Well, because of love. Bearing with one another in love. She loves me. And that's why she has just plain put up with me. And the things that I've done that have not been right, and the times that I've failed in promises I've made her, and the things she hoped that I would do or accomplish with my life that I haven't. She's put up with me. Why? Because she loves me. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. What does endeavoring to keep mean? Well, it means exerting yourself to attend carefully to. That means working hard to do it. Not doing just enough to get by. Not doing just enough to get along 
but working hard at it, making a solid effort to be excellent at it, exerting yourself. Now, you can generally tell if I want to do something or not by whether I'm willing to exert myself to do it or not, you know? I may do it because it's required, but I just kind of... But if it's something I really care about... I really exert myself. I make a special effort to do the very best to attend carefully to that, to make sure it's done right. He says, you be lowly and you be gentle. You be long-suffering. You bear with one another. Because that's the way that you endeavor to keep this unity that we talk about, this unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What is the unity of the Spirit? Well, it's unity that comes from the Spirit of God. For as, many as you, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ like a garment. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, there's a few ways that we can have unity. One way to have unity is for everyone to agree on everything. Now, that's probably not going to happen, right? Another way to have unity is for us to appoint one person as Grand Poobah, and they get to decide what's right, and we all will do whatever they say. That's another way to have unity. Those aren't biblical unity, though. You see, biblical unity is when we all work together. You know, Amos said this, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Years ago, I used to think that meant that you and I had to agree or we couldn't walk together. That's not what that means. What he's saying is, how can two walk together unless they agree to walk together? That's what we do as Christians. That's what you did when you became a part of this congregation and this body of Christ. You cast your lot with this group and you said, I will walk together with these people as we serve God. No, I'm not going to always agree with what somebody else here wants. No, I'm not always going to like the songs they pick. No, I'm not always going to like fill in the blank, pave in the parking lot or paint and stripes or colors of the bathroom or whatever. I'm not going to like all of that all the time. But I have cast my lot with these people as we follow Christ, and that's what I'm going to do. And that's the unity of the Spirit. It's what God puts us together in one body. We're in Jesus Christ, and that makes us one. And it doesn't matter if I'm wealthy, if I'm poor, if I'm smart, if I'm not so smart. None of that matters. It doesn't matter even if I'm a slave or a master. What matters is that we have agreed to walk together in serving Jesus Christ. And then he says, in the bond of peace... The bond of peace is tranquility, the absence of rage and havoc that produces a bond that holds us together like the ligaments of the body. You know, your body has ligaments in it, okay? Tendons, we call them. My grandfather called them ligaments, but we call them tendons. And they connect your bones together. 
They're like ropes that connect on to one bone and hook it to another bone. That's what holds me together as a person. If I didn't have tendons, I'd just be a big blob of bones and flesh laying up here. You have to have that to hold you together. You'll come apart if you don't have that. And this peace that we have, this bond of peace, it's that absence of havoc, absence of turmoil, absence of rage that allows us to have this bond that holds us together. Do you all sing the song, uh, Bind Us Together, Lord, Bind Us Together? We need to sing that this week sometime. Bind us together with this peace that God has that passes all understanding. There's one body and one spirit, just as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. How many bodies are there? One. One body. I'm a part of the same body you are. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? One Lord. Who's the Lord you serve? I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that who you serve? Yes. One faith. One baptism. Do we share the same baptism? Was yours the same as mine? You better believe it was. All over the world it's the same. Brother Jerry talked about that this morning. How in Nigeria they're communing. Just like we commune in California even they do it. Some, some of them do. Okay? Because the reality is we share this oneness together. One God, one Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. One hope. My hope is heaven. What's your hope? It's the same hope we share. You see, all of these things... Now, you've noticed in this passage, there's one word that kind of stands out, right? One, 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 one. One. And when we think of ourselves as one, we can understand that the things that unite us are far greater than the things that divide us. We're divided by many things. By our preferences, by our jobs, by our incomes, by our social status. We're divided by a lot of things. But the things that unite us, the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope, one God and Father above all, one Spirit, those things that unite us make the other things not matter. You know, I told you my wife and I have been married 31 years. One of the things that, when you get married, you learn stuff about each other. One of the things I didn't really know until we got married is we're really different about some stuff. Basically, if I like the song, she doesn't. And if she likes the song, I don't. If I like this kind of food, she doesn't. And if she likes this kind of food, I don't. Now, we've, through the years, that's kind of gotten more to where we share some of that. But you know, those differences that divide us were not enough to divide us because what united us was greater than all those differences. Those are the things that matter that unite us. Now, I want to make some specific suggestions. Number one, build each other up with your words. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. I want to make you a challenge. This week, I challenge you to not say one word to tear down someone else 
in the church. And I said, well, that won't be any problem. I won't see you again until next Sunday, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't, I'm hoping you'll be here, but this week, don't say one word to tear down a fellow Christian all week. He said, if you grumble against one another, look, don't do it, lest what? Lest you be condemned. Jesus is listening to everything you say. Don't tear down fellow Christians. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. He says, don't you let corrupt words come out of your mouth, but instead edifying words. What are edifying words? Well, they're words that build up. So what's corrupt? It's words that tear down. Don't use your mouth to tear down fellow Christians. I hear that all the time. Don't you? Honestly? We hear that all the time. Well, so-and-so, I tell you what, I guess they may be doing the best they can, but I'll tell you, just don't do that. Just don't tear down fellow Christians. Number two, pray for each other. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power. You know, when Jacob had his accident, we, we got more texts and emails and cards and letters and phone calls in that short span of time than I have in my whole life probably. And they all said some variety of the same thing. We're praying for y'all. We're praying for y'all. We're praying for you. And I want you to know how much we appreciate that. But my question for you is this. Do you pray for people only when there's a big crisis? Or do you pray for them all the time? You know who you need to be praying for is the person in the church here that you don't get along with real well. You should pray for them. And I pray that they get their act together, but pray that God would bless them and that you and they would develop the loving relationship that glorifies God. You see, there's so many things that you can and should be praying for. That's what Paul said. We pray always for you that God would count you worthy of this calling. Pray for that. For one another. Number three, be easy to get along with. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Don't quarrel. Don't be hard to get along with. I've known people that if you didn't do everything just exactly right all the time, they were going to get mad about something. You've known people like that too, haven't you? And they're miserable to be around. Don't be a person who's hard to get along with. Don't be a person who's brash and thoughtless about the things they say. Listen, when you run your mouth as much as I do, you say things that you shouldn't say sometimes. Be careful about that. Don't be thoughtless. Don't be harsh. Well, they ought to, they ought to know better than that. Yeah, they should. But they don't need you barking at them all the time. Be easy to get along with. Entreat people with easiness. Be comfortable with people. Be nice to people. 
That goes a long, long way in having unity in a relationship if you're just nice to each other. Guys, do you ever have this experience where you get up in the day and you're doing something, your wife goes, why are you being nice to me? You ought to be nice all the time. It should be, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you being nice to me today? You see? Number four, don't be easily offended. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Y'all know what a snowflake is? Someone who melts with the least bit of heat and pressure? Don't be a snowflake. Don't be easily offended. Don't walk around looking for someone to say something just not just not right and, and then you can bristle and well, I can't believe what they said to me church tonight. And don't get all offended if the preacher preaches at you, especially this week. <laughs> Sometimes I've had sermons pointed at me, and you know I needed that. I needed to hear it. Don't feel like no one should have a right to criticize you or point out something you do that's wrong. We all need that. Don't be easily offended. Have some thicker skin. Be able to be confronted and corrected and appreciate. The Bible in Proverbs says a lot about a man who won't accept rebuke. And you know the main word it uses about that person? Because I'm a fool. You're a fool if you won't accept rebuke. If you don't appreciate rebuke. You need it. I need it. And if you have something you need to correct me on this week, please come correct me. Because we should help one another. And if I get all offended, nobody's going to come correct me, right? I had an experience like that. One time when I was a young man and I heard a guy preach on something and... and I was trying to start doing church work and I rec- rec- respected, I can't even say the word, respected this guy and we had a chance to visit after church and I said, hey, I appreciated your sermon. He said, well, thank you. And I said, but there was one point, and I mean, he liked to tore my head off. I want you to know it was years before I would go to him again with something. Years because of his reaction toward me. If you bite someone's head off for trying to help you and trying to correct you, you might say, well, they weren't trying to help me, they're just griping at me. Okay, so what? Get over it. Be easy to be entreated. Be easy to get along with. Don't be difficult. And finally, promote peace with your influence. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. All of you have influence on people around you. All of you have influence on some people. If the people you have influence on are bad-mouthing other people, use your influence to stop that. Get involved in that. Use your influence to promote peace. I heard a fellow talking about one time he went to a church and, and there were these two leaders in the church and these guys didn't get along and they had this big conflict going on. And so he decided he was going to go try to help straighten this problem out between these two guys. 
He was going to try to be a peacemaker. So what he did is he went to one of the guys and he said, tell me about old so-and-so. Oh, he's blah, 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 you know, and he just talked to him. He said, yeah. He said, but is there anything good about this guy at all? Anything? And the guy said, well, he's a pretty good woodworker. So then he went and visited the other guy. Says, hey, what do you think about old so-and-so? Oh, blah, 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 blah. He said, really? Well, I was over visiting with him, and he told me you were an excellent woodworker. Do you do woodworking? <laughs> really? And that was the beginning of him repairing that relationship between those two people. And they ended up close friends. You can promote peace. Or you can pile on with your friends and go, yeah, I can't believe that. I, I wouldn't put up with that if I was you. Yeah, they, they didn't just do that to you. I heard them do And you can jump in and be a part of the problem. Don't do that. Promote peace with your influence. So throughout this week specifically, but beginning now and going forward, these are real, practical, specific things you can do. You can build up other people with your words instead of tear them down. You can pray for other people, especially those that you have conflict with. Number three, you can be easy to get along with. Number four, you can be unoffendable, where it's just almost impossible to offend you. And number five, you can promote peace with your influence. If you will do these things, you'll have more unity. You'll have more peace in your home, in your church, at work, in your life as a whole. If you will live by these principles that are taught in God's Word. To promote the strength that we have together. Now I want to tell you, we're going to talk about this some more during the week, but the greatest unity you can have is being in the body of Christ. You need to be one with Christ because the truth is, you and I, our unity can only go so far unless we're both in Christ. And if we're both in Christ, that's going to overcome all the differences that we have. But if we're not both in Christ... We can have all the similarities in the world, but we're not going to have true unity. We're not really going to share in that unity. And so I'm going to encourage you throughout the week that if you're not right with Jesus, you need to be. That's step number one. You can't accomplish these things if you're not right with Jesus. You need to be one with Him. You need to be unified with the Lord Jesus Christ. That should be the most important thing. And if you've done that and you are right with the Lord, then work on these this week. Talk about it. I hear we're memorizing a verse. I didn't know we were doing that till I got here this morning, so don't challenge me yet. But the question or the suggestion was challenge everyone around you. Okay? Well, I will say this week, work on those things. Get somebody that you'll talk to about this. And give them permission to ask you, have you prayed for somebody in the church here this week? Are you building people up? And if you're not, take your criticism, take your lumps, don't get offended, repent and move forward. If you have some need you'd like to bring before the church, we do offer a song of invitation at this time. If you'll make that need known while we stand and sing.